Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves. Do you want to know how to better study God's Word? Then participate in one of our free online workshops or join one of our online Bible studies. There are tons of times and options to choose from. Head to our website to register now at www.preceptministries.ca. On our website, you can also get connected to our social media pages and join our email list to stay updated on the many things God is doing through Preset Ministries. We want to hear from you. If you have been impacted by these podcasts or another area of Preset Ministries Canada, then we want to know. Email us your testimonies to info at preceptministries.ca. We can't wait to hear about how God is working in your life. Now, stay tuned for Unlocking the Truth, a study in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Hello, everyone. It's Mark Sheldrake here, another episode of Unlocking the Truth podcast. Uh, we're working through the book of 1 Thessalonians, episode 2 today. Uh, hope you are uh, tuning in each and every week to participate in this. I also want to encourage you to uh, not just listen to the podcast, but check out our online classes as well as the resources we have on the book of First Thessalonians. We want you to get into study. We want you to dig into God's word for yourself. We want you to see these truths. We want you to uh, see uh, the blessings that come from using the inductive Bible study method. Preceptministries.ca for more information on that. But uh, this week, we are digging in uh, to chapter 1, so let's pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for this time that we have together. We pray that as we look at chapter 1, we would be reminded of the work that you have done in our lives, Lord. That, Father, that moment we were gripped by the gospel, that moment that we were transformed, that moment we surrendered and we said, Lord, you are the ruler of our life. Father, help us to remember those moments, that we would be people who would be able to look back at this church in Thessalonica, uh, see the things that they were doing well, look at our lives, see the things that we need to do better, and Lord, help us to follow after you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last week as we walked worked through the uh, overview, we, we discussed how Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy were the authors of this letter, that they went to Thessalonica after um, some time, uh, spent in prison uh, and suffering for the gospel. This is Paul's ministry, suffering for the gospel uh, wherever he goes. Romans tells us that he desired to take the gospel to places where it had never been taken before, not as to build on somebody else's ministry. So uh, it seems that Paul always going into a hostile territory to uh, take the message of the truth uh, into the Gentile territory where um, they so desperately needed the truth of the gospel, as much as uh, the Jewish people uh, needed to recognize that Jesus was the Messiah. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, as we get there, before we go and dig into this verse by verse, I want you to think about that moment that you were gripped by the gospel, that you were transformed by the gospel, that you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. As uh, the Gospels tell us, that moment that you died to self and you put on Jesus. And so now think through that moment, look back on that moment, and think about the joy that you found 
in that moment. Think about how excited you were as a Christian to know that your life had been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Can you think about it? Does it fire you up? Does it pump you up? Does it get you excited about the things of Jesus in that moment? I mean, I think back to when I was nine years old at a Christian service brigade camp, and I heard the gospel. It was a fire and brimstone message. You need Jesus because judgment is coming. And I realized that I wasn't living a life after Jesus. And therefore, I got onto my hands and knees in a camper trailer with two counselors, and I gave my heart to Jesus. Can you think about that? Can you think about that moment of transformation? Here's the thing. Uh, the further we get away from that moment of transformation, uh, we tend to forget about it. and We get bogged down in the daily aspects of life and the daily go- ongoings of life. And there are opportunities for us because of things that may happen in the church and may happen in Christian relationships and things that go on within our life and trials that we may face and whatever the difficulty might be, it might be an opportunity for us to not fully focus and remember on that conversion moment, but uh, allow the fire, the passion, the desire that's within us begin to uh, go out. In 2015, Kay Arthur and I wrote a book called Ignite Your Passion for God, a 40-minute Bible study, and the whole focus of that Bible study is to come out of apathy that is found within the Christian world. There are so many Christians that are dealing with apathy because they don't even realize that they are apathetic to the things of God. There's two sins within the world that are very difficult to draw out. All right, the two sins that are very difficult to draw out are first an apathy or a backsliding or a falling away from Jesus. And the second is that it's really hard to find areas in which we are prideful. It usually takes somebody else to show us and indicate that we are dealing with pride. Uh, Our pride will not allow us to know that we are becoming apathetic to the things of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That our pride will never allow us to know when we have become apathetic. Why? Because our pride says, you're doing well. You're running well in your Christian race. You're really absolutely doing a great job at what you're doing. No, don't worry that you haven't been doing this for a little while. That's okay because everybody does that and you're going to be just fine. No, apathy is that time. It's when you become ho-hum about the realities of who you are in Jesus Christ. It's ho-hum about the things like singing in church where they just become words on a screen, where Bible study is not the focus of your life, or you don't have a hunger for God's word, uh, where your time is so consumed with complaining about the things of the church instead of being active in propelling the church. Uh, all of these things uh, are the beginning signs of a backsliding or an apathetic attitude towards the things of God. 
It's very interesting that when we went through the overview, uh, one thing we talked about was the very fact that Paul had been uh, removed from this church uh, quickly, unable to fully disciple them. And so he had sent for a report to find out how this church was doing. And so that's where we pick up in chapter one is Paul is looking back to the time that he was with them. He's thanking God for them and the work that Christ has done in them. So uh, if anything comes out of chapter one, uh, hopefully, Lord willing, uh, if you're driving, uh, don't get too excited, but if you are sitting at home, you've got your Bible in front of you, uh, get to the edge of your seat because this is uh, something that you want to pay attention to within the text. If you are sitting at home and you have an opportunity to open your Bible, open your Bible. Uh, I had a pastor once tell us, you need to turn to learn. So I want you to grab your Bible, uh, follow along in the text, and if you have that opportunity, do so. If not, you're driving or you're walking or you're whatever you're doing uh, as you're listening to this podcast, go back and look at this text and read through it because it is phenomenal what we're about to see. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but it came in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation and in the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth. So we have no need to say anything, for they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, how you turned to God from idols, to serve a living and true God, to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath of to come. I mean, just reading through these 10 verses, I get so excited. I wish I could just reach through the microphone and grab you and shake you and say, this is phenomenal stuff. But we're going to start right at verse 1. You'll notice that verse 1 uh, comes across a lot uh, different than some of Paul's other uh, letters. Let me uh, walk you back. We've, we've done Colossians on the podcast. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1 of Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. What about Philippians? How does Philippians start? Paul and Timothy, bondservants of uh, Jesus Christ. Well, you might say, well, that's not too much different. What about Ephesians? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Then we can go and we can look at uh, Galatians and see that Galatians starts with um, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, 
through the agency of men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. All of those letters, Paul uh, laying out that his credentials, that he is a, a bondservant, he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's not appointed by men, but appointed by Jesus. And each of those situations showing his authority, uh, part of his biography, who has sent him. But he doesn't do that in First Thessalonians. Uh, some scholars believe the reason that Paul doesn't start First Thessalonians this way is that there was absolutely no question about his authority as an apostle or who he was in his servanthood to Jesus Christ. Uh, in chapter 2, we'll see that Paul will address uh, some of his actions and his behaviors, but from no point within the church in Thessalonica were they ever questioning his authority as the apostle and the messenger of Jesus Christ. So he has no need to put it there. Uh, we see an indication of when Paul uh, arrived in Thessalonica that he was well-received. Uh, chapter 1, verse 9 says that he was well-received uh, when he was with them. And so uh, no need to go back and point out uh, who he is and what his role and his title is. Uh, we see the church, also in verse 1, uh, that they are in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, grace to you and peace. Uh, when Paul is showing us that the church is in God the Father, uh, this helps to show the authority and the um, positioning and the foundation of the church is in God the Father and Jesus Christ. Uh, this church was truly a Christian church, unlike some of the synagogues that were there. He, Paul is pointing out that this is a significant church that has been built on the foundation of God the Father and of Jesus Christ. Christ. Now look at what he says in verse 2. Uh, we give thanks to you always, to God always making mention of you in prayer. Uh, constantly bearing in mind uh, three things. So if you have your pen, here's the three things that he's constantly bearing in mind. One is their work of faith. Two is their labor of love. And three is their steadfastness of hope. So if you were to take these three things out, you would see that each one of them is faith, hope, and love. Think about 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And these three things remain faith, hope, and love. So what Paul is doing in verse three, 2 and 3 is he is emphasizing uh, faith, hope, and love are the things that motivate and produce Christian action. So we want to look at all three of these uh, individually and, and see what we can get as a better understanding for faith, hope, and love. So first is that it is their work of faith. Uh, the Greek word ergon for work is uh, anything done in deed, work, or action. Uh, so, I want to take you to Titus, and I want you to see what Titus uh, tells us about um, this uh, work and action 
and deed. And so right in the beginning of Titus chapter 1, verse uh, 16, if you, for context purposes, uh, we go back to verse 10. He says, For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. Uh, He says, These people must be silenced because they're upsetting whole families, teaching things that they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. One of themselves is a prophet of their own. And he said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This is the testimony which is true. For this reason, reprove them severely and that they may be sound in the faith. So there are some rebellious men, including Jewish people, that are stirring up the church and upsetting whole families with false teaching. Uh, Titus's job is to uh, reprove them with sound doctrine. And, and what Paul tells Titus is this. He tells him that this is one of the ways that you can determine and figure out whether they are a true Christian. He says, they profess, in verse 16, uh, these rebellious people, they, re- they profess to know God, but their deeds, they, by their deeds, they uh, deny Jesus, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deeds. All right, so uh, just quickly think about that. Uh, their uh, words profess that they are Christian, but their deeds do not. Uh, Their deeds are upsetting whole families. They are causing dissension and strife. They're teaching false teaching. They're not teaching sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is healthy, wholesome, full uh, teaching. And so they're going against what the gospel teaches. And so these people... Uh, are saying they're Christians, but they are not. Their deeds do not indicate that they are true Christians. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Paul says to Titus, But as for you, speak things which are fitting for sound doctrine. So the opposite of the false teachers is teach healthy, wholesome, full teaching. And then in verse 2, all the way down... To verse 14, Paul gives us examples of how we are to live in word and deed in matching. Older men, temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, perseverance. Older women, likewise, be reverent in your behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage young women to love their husbands and their children. Be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, younger men, be sensible. Show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity and doctrine and dignified. Be sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters. Uh, All of these things are things that show transformation. They show that sound doctrine and good deeds go together. Healthy, wholesome teaching results in good deeds. And so what he's telling them here is that they have a work of faith, that there's action and deeds that come along with their faith. 
All right, so Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And so, um, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared long beforehand so that we would walk in them. So what we're coming to with this work of faith is that we can it's not saying that we work to be saved, that we have deeds for the purpose of salvation, but because of our salvation, we now have work to do. Uh, James, it tells us that faith without works is dead. James chapter 2, uh, that I will show you my faith by my works. And so there's this outward working of an inward change. All right, so uh, you're not saved by the things that you do. There's no work that you can do. This is what Ephesians tells us. Uh, We can't build our own salvation, but we are saved by grace through faith. This is the entire focus of Paul's letters all the way through the New Testament, saved by faith through grace, not by works. Um, So it's very vital to have uh, this faith in Jesus Christ first, and the outward working of that is that it is that we have work to do. So I want you to think about it like this. All right, so a byproduct is taking a product and then making another product out of it. So in the midst of this pandemic, um, my son, he eats the same meal every single day. Uh, The only difference is it's been getting earlier and earlier. So he's now eating lunch at 9.30 in the morning. He's getting it ready at 8.30. And what he has every week, every day is grilled cheese. Uh, Two grilled cheese sandwiches. And honestly, I think it's like a half a bottle of ketchup a day. Through the midst of this pandemic, I believe that we have kept the ketchup company in business. But you see, ketchup is the byproduct of the tomato. The main ingredient is the tomato. Uh, I've seen and watched them make ketchup before. It's a very interesting process, but it involves a ton of tomatoes. Uh, They take all the tomatoes that have fallen on the ground in the farm fields and they put them into the the thing that makes the ketchup and grinds it all up and, you know, all of that stuff. So you have the ketchup that comes as the byproduct of the tomato. In the Christian world, the byproduct of our faith and our um, surrender to Jesus Christ is we have a work to do through um, our faith, that we are to bear fruit with our faith. So uh, salvation is the work that is completed then we have work to do. We have tasks to do. We've been given gifts, and we have to employ those spiritual gifts uh, within the world. All right, so that's the first part. Uh, The second is that it's a labor of love. Uh, You would think to yourself, well, uh, work and labor seem to be the same uh, word or are synonyms, and um, why would Paul have work and then labor? 
Uh, labor of love is uh, the Greek word kopos, and it's an exhausting or physical mental exertion or toil. Uh, the word here indicates a more strenuous work, a laboring of working out those deeds that you have. Now, considering what's happening in First uh, Thessalonians and in Thessalonica, there's been great persecution and suffering for the gospel. And so the work that they were doing and the faith that they were taking um, out wherever they went and the sharing of the gospel was not easy because they were in the midst of opposition. This is the thing, you know, when we um, hear almost a false gospel that as we become Christians, that as we surrender our life to him, that life is going to get easier, that things are going to be so much different for you that there will be a lot less work for you to do. It won't be as intense as it was for you before you were a Christian. Well, the opposite is true. So if you've heard that about Christianity, I'm sorry you've heard that because that's not true. That as you become a Christian and you begin to live a life, the one that is more laborious and more intense, it's more difficult. Uh, you will be hated because of my name, says Jesus in the book of Matthew. And so one uh, scholar, I found it very interesting as I was reading through, one scholar wrote that Paul probably indicated that the labor of love not only was a part of the suffering, but it was also the drastic change that they were having within their social circles. Think about this for a minute. And, and when I think back and... Um, I think the same would be true for you and I. That as we ch change our life and we become more and more like Jesus, the people we used to fellowship with and socialize with and are around, uh, they become more difficult to hang out with because you are being transformed by the gospel and they are staying where they were as worldly people. Your um, things that you had in common before Christ are no longer in common. And as you change and transform, you become more isolated from your social circles of previous. Uh, but the good news is that you enter into new social circles with those who are of the brethren. So there's a great transition and a great struggle and a great labor as you go through the process of sanctification. As you grow and mature in Jesus Christ, life begins to change uh, for you. But you also have the outside things like the suffering and persecution, as you propel the gospel forward. There's no greater time than where we are in the world today to know what it feels like to begin to suffer for the gospel. If you want to experience what it's like to suffer for the gospel, stand up for truth in 2020. Stand up for biblical truth in 2020. You'll be vilified in social media if you post anything. This morning I was reading from a couple of 
uh, Christian people on social media about how they've started to bite their tongue and hold back in discussion because it's impossible to have discussion without being labeled in the first 30 seconds of a discussion. Well, this is the culture that we live in right now. So suffering from the, for the gospel we be, will become more prominent. But I promise if you take the time to walk through Ignite Your Passion for God, you'll see in Lesson 6 that suffering for the gospel can ignite a greater passion for you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So they have this labor of love, this, this work, this toil that they have, but they also have this hope. This hope that comes in the Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of God. You see, their focus has changed. Their focus and their mindset is on the return of Jesus Christ. And so we'll see that further as we work through. But they have a hope, which is a looking for. It's a confidence or it's an expectation of great things that will come. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15. And then Hebrews tells us to hold fast until Christ's return. And so there's so many great things to be able to see right in here. Just within that verse 3, uh, bear in mind we're praying about the work, the deeds that you have to accomplish for the gospel. We're praying about the work that's being accomplished in your life, the labor of love and how difficult it is to be able to minister in the world that you live in, but that you have a hope that's focused on the return of Jesus Christ. Does this describe you, listener? Does this describe you that you you know what your work of faith is. Are you laboring and toiling for the gospel? Do you have your mindset and hope on Jesus Christ? Or are you getting bogged down with everything that you see in the world today? I mean, turn on the news right now. It's so easy to get bogged down with all of the stuff that's happening in the world. But our hope is in Jesus. Our focus is in Jesus our prayer should be in this very moment in 2020, come, Lord Jesus, come, rend the heavens and open up. Father, return. Restore. Because our hope is in Jesus Christ. I mean, this church had it together. This church was, was running well. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and the presence of our God and Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. Uh, just pause there for a moment. Think about this. God chose you before the foundation of the world. God chose you for good works. God chose you for this time and place that you are in right now. I mean, this, this is absolutely amazing. Verse 5 says that our gospel did not come to you in word only, but it came in power in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, just as you know what men kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Uh, the gospel came uh, in five ways. 
So let's quickly look through the five ways in which the gospel came to this church. First and foremost, it came in word. It came in spoken word when Paul and Silvanus visited according to Acts chapter 17. For three Sabbaths, they spent the time there together, reasoning the scriptures in the synagogue and sharing the gospel with the Gentiles. Uh, If you want to study the book of Acts, you'll see that Paul always shared how the gospel transformed him. Jesus met me on the road to Damascus, and he asked me why I was persecuting the church. And of course, I'm paraphrasing this, but you will go and you will serve me and you will bring people to me. Paul became one of the who was one of the greatest opponents of the gospel, became one of the greatest advocates for the gospel. The work and the fruit of Paul's ministry is this church in Thessalonica. God was mightily using Paul to take the gospel to all the nations. So first it came in word only, so it came in, sp- it came in spoken word, but the second is that it also came in power. So uh, Romans chapter 1 tells us about the gospel, uh, and we know these verses if you've uh, read through Romans, uh, chapter 1, uh, verses uh, 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel... It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, uh, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith that is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Uh, First Corinthians, Paul also uh, talks about uh, the gospel not only coming in word only, but in power. He says, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, when I came to you, brethren, I did not come to you with superiority of speech or wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, the gospel. I was determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that faith would not rest upon the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. You see, it's not our words. It's very important for us to be able to present the gospel properly. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 shows us the gospel, that Jesus, that he was, he died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried for three days according to the scripture, that on the third day he rose from the dead according to the scripture and he appeared to many. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us the basic principles of the gospel. That's important for us, but we don't have to have this amazing PowerPoint presentation of the gospel truth. We can have a 30-second elevator testimony. Can you share your testimony of how God changed your life from floor to floor. Here's the thing, that the message is that Jesus died. The power is in the action of what happened on the cross. The power is in the gospel message and not your words. It's absolutely amazing. It should be freeing for us as we evangelize. It's our purpose to share the truth of the gospel, but it's the work of God that will change and transform lives. John 6, no man comes to God unless God draws him to him. 
All right, and so what you've got here is that the gospel didn't come in word only, but it also came in power. And it came in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working in the midst of this. The Holy Spirit is softening hearts to be receptive to the message. Have you thought about the gospel message in word only? If there's no power and the Holy Spirit behind it, it sounds like an unbelievable fable that no one would believe. That there was a guy that he was living in heaven with God, that he came to earth as a baby. He grew up, and in his 30s, he started a ministry. He went around all of the Galilee and Jerusalem and Israel area, and he healed people, and he, he did amazing miracles. He cast out demons. He put demons into swine and sent them off a cliff. Then they put him on a cross, they crucified him. They buried him. He rose on the third day. The tomb was empty. He appeared to many, and then he ascended into heaven. That is one phenomenal story if there's no power and the Holy Spirit is not behind it. It's the Holy Spirit that opens us up to be able to believe and understand these truths and really to wrap our mind around them. And so the Holy Spirit is already doing a work in the individual to help them receive uh, the gospel. Now look at the, the uh, fourth thing, and that is that it came with full conviction. This is absolutely amazing that when they not only heard the words, but there was power behind it, that the Holy Spirit was working in their hearts, opening their ears, their minds, and their hearts to be able to receive this message, it brought conviction. It broke them. Uh, Acts chapter 17 says uh, that some were persuaded to follow Paul and Silas. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, Luke is... Uh, I'm not sure I really like that. It's the scripture. I understand it, that the English word persuaded, but I really love how it comes across here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. That conviction, this brokenness, this reality of the need for a savior that they fully understood and were gripped by the gospel. Do you remember that moment in time? when you heard the words of the gospel, that you felt the power of the gospel, that the Holy Spirit was softening your heart, and that you were convicted of how you were living and how you needed to live. It's absolutely an amazing uh, progression. The fifth thing that we see here as how the gospel came is it came by example. This is a huge one for you and I to really pause and think about for a moment. It's the very fact that when Paul and Silas went there, the people of the church received them well but saw something different in their life. That they were bearing fruit of the gospel. That they were an example of the gospel. It just blows my mind to see 
what happens is that as they were there and they were preaching and teaching the gospel, their life and their actions also reflected the same of their words. It's the exact opposite of Titus, that they profess to know God, but by their deeds they don't show it. These people, Paul and Silas, not only showed their faith in their actions, but they also were showing it in their words. Their words and their actions matched up to the point that Paul reminds them and is thankful that they became imitators of Paul and of the Lord. Now, if you go back to Luke to Acts chapter 1, you will see that um, with the apostles that Jesus ascended into heaven. He left the apostles to be witnesses of the gospel, and therefore Jesus is not around. He's at the right hand of the Father at this time in the ministry of the church. Okay, this is about 51 AD. And so what you have is, you have to ask yourself, how in the world did this church become imitators of Jesus? Well, they became imitators of Jesus by seeing Jesus in Paul and Silas. That through the teachings of Paul, that they understood how to live a life that brought glory and honor to Jesus Christ. And they followed Paul's example. Uh, one of the questions that came up in the, in the study was, is it right to follow after Paul? And, and Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So it's important for us to look and find examples in the world of people who are living a life that are worthy of good Christianity, those who are living a life that brings glory and honor to God. Follow after those people. Be mentored by those people. But it's also important to ask, is my life worthy of imitation? Would people want to follow after me? And do people see Jesus in me? That's a very hard question to to answer, but one to ponder and think about as we continue through. Verse 7, we see that this uh, church, that not only were they imitators, but uh, they received the word in tribulation with joy of the Holy Spirit. They became examples to all believers. They too were living out the gospel. They were sharing the gospel wherever they went. I think to myself, and the question that I ponder in my own life is, when I walk and I live each and every day of my life, does the gospel and my faith go forward? I'm thinking about all of the things that we're, we're seeing uh, in the midst of the pandemic. Uh, is my faith going forward when I have to wait in a 35-minute line to get into the grocery store? Uh, am I showing a love for the brethren by reaching out and helping those that are in need in the midst of difficult situations? Uh, do my words match my actions? Do my actions match my words? Uh, everywhere I go, am I a lamp for Jesus? 
well, these people were, to the very fact that Paul said, I don't have anything to say about it. You guys are doing so well with pushing the gospel forward that I don't even have to address it. Well done. I'm thankful for you. Would, would somebody be able to say the same about you? That you're pushing the gospel forward in your workplace, in your home, in your community, with those that are around you? Are you an example Someone worthy to follow? Look at the difference in the transformation in the lives of this people. Verse 9 says, For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, and how you turned from God to God from idols to serve a living and true God. What an amazing transformation. Serving wooden, man-made idols to follow after a living and true God. Well, what about you? What are some of the idols that you have in your life that are hindering you from uh, full-on pursuit of a living and true God? Money? Power? Prestige? Position? Maybe there's some other idols. What have you put on the mantle of your life that have become so important to you that they distract you from a full-on pursuit of the living and true God. You see, right back to the very beginning, one of the greatest things that creates apathy and distraction in the life of a Christian is idol worship. It's putting anything above your relationship with God. These are the things that draw us away from a full-on pursuit of Jesus Christ. You see, this church, they heard the gospel. It didn't come in just word only, but it came in power. It came in the Holy Spirit with full conviction that when they were broken on their knees, they decided that there was no idol worthy of worship, that there was nothing more worthy of worship than the living and true God that they turned and walked away from anything that got in their way of a pursuit of Jesus Christ. This is what you must do. If you want to ignite a fire and a passion for God in your relationship with him, you've got to turn from idols and pursue a living and true God. Look what happens in the end in the very last verse. They're serving a living and true God and they're waiting for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. It's absolutely amazing. So let me just lay this back out to you. Uh, remember, you have the work of faith, the labor of love, and the hope, the steadfast hope in Jesus Christ. Here, here's what Paul's done in this chapter that, uh, Lord willing, this will absolutely blow you away as we, as we wrap up, okay? The work of faith. 
the work of faith that they have is two things. One, that the gospel gripped them, changed them, transformed them, came with full conviction that they moved from idols to serving a living and true God. That's number one, the work of faith. They have a work to do now that they believe. They're not saved by their works, but they're saved by faith. Their belief in Jesus Christ now gave them a work to do. When they took their faith wherever they went, that this was the work. They took the gospel with them wherever they went, and they became examples to all believers, living out Jesus Christ, sharing the gospel wherever they went. I'm confident that as they shared the gospel, more and more people came to believe. And the work that they were doing was to take the gospel out. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, go and make disciples. This is what they're doing. This is the work that they're accomplishing. The labor of love that they had is they had a great passion for those that were surrounded by them, like Paul. Paul had a desire to see people transformed by the gospel. These people became examples of Paul and Silas. They took the gospel out. Why? They had a love for people that they wanted to see their lives completely transformed. So as they shared the gospel, people's lives were transformed. Their labor of love was that they did this in the midst of great persecution and suffering. And what they're doing is they're sitting and they're waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. Yet they're not just sitting in a chair looking at the clouds. They're pursuing and furthering the kingdom of God while they wait because they have a steadfastness of hope. They know that Jesus rescues them from the wrath to come. Do you see what Paul just did there in chapter one? He thanks God for their work of faith. He thanks God for their labor of love. He thanks God for their steadfastness of hope. And then he shows them all three of those things and how he's thankful for them through chapter one. It blows my mind. Blows my mind how cool this is in these chapters. I cannot wait to keep digging into this with you each and every week. But the question you have to ask is, if these people are such a great example, how does my life line up to this? Would somebody be able to write this about me? That my work of faith, my labor of love, and my steadfastness of hope is evident as the fruit of my salvation. Father, we thank you again for this time this morning. We thank you for the truth that comes from your scriptures. Father, I'm so thankful for uh, how your word comes together, how we can be transformed by it, how we can be gripped by the truth of it. Father, I pray for each and every listener here that they would be uh, people who would stop for a moment, ask you to evaluate hearts and minds, and show us the areas in which we need to grow to be much more like these people described in Thessalonica. Examples and imitators, people who are furthering the kingdom of God in their community and surrounding area. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Preset Ministries, head to our website at www.presetministries.ca.